Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now and now for something completely similar Brendan, this is a popcorn. Cooled you, didn't I? Yes, you did. I, I was going to say. Totally swerved me. Potpourri, but I said popcorn. I do like popcorn occasionally, especially when I'm gambling. Crunch sound effects, crunch, crunch, butter. As you can tell, things are different today. <laughs> this is a podcast. It's not a popcorn. No, this is a podcast. It's still a podcast. That's the same. Oh. And we're still talking about British stuff. That's the same. Okay. British movies? British movies. Okay. But this is a little sub-podcast of our main podcast. For called? screen. Oh. And country. See, we did it backwards that time. Oh. Called. For screen. And country. Okay. Colon. For screen. No. Oh. No, that's not it. Try this try one more time. Okay. For screen! Similar. Close enough. For screen, similar. <laughs> I didn't show up to rehearsals, Jason. I was uh, I was not feeling it. I don't have an excuse. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get there. We got a few more of these. No, this is for screen and country. And what are the... the, the this month of July, we're going to be doing... Uh, well, this is actually a, this is a Jason original. Yeah. A Jason idea. This Jason, is my <laughs> Jason original series. Jason Manzoukas. Uh, <laughs> no, What's is up, a, jerks? <laughs> This is a Jason idea, is that we are going to look at some of the movies on this list, but not the movies on the list specifically, more like films that are either remakes of the movies on this list, or sequels, or even in a few cases, like, heavily inspired. Yes, absolutely. Almost like spiritual remakes. For Screen and Country, colon, and now for something completely similar. Colon, a podcast. Colon, The Revenge. Colon iTunes. <laughs> yes. In memory of. So Jason, we are going to start it off. Start off this series. We're going to start it off hard and hot. We're going to start off hot and heavy. That's right. We're going to be talking about the 2015 remake of number 57 on this list, which we've covered, we covered some time ago, not a real long time ago. Uh, the Go-Between. Yes, the 1971's The Go-Between, which brought back our old friend Julie Christie and introduced uh, me to Alan Bates, who we later saw in Girls... Girls? Women? Women in Love. Girls in Love. Girls in Love. That was what I wanted the movie to be, but it ended up turning out to be Women in Love, and it was not about Women in Love, as we discussed. And, of course, you all know... Of course, if any of you are... uh, You know, don't remember The Go-Between... This will hopefully trigger your memory, the this theme song we all know. We love. all know and love. That's some that that is some some music. That's letting you know something's gonna go down. Well, and then we should know right now that theme is not used for this version of the of the film. This is a 2015 TV version on BBC One. Absolutely. Which I should note right now, um, the odd choice of choosing to air this on the same night as the series six premiere of Downton Abbey on another BBC network. Yeah, I don't know why they were trying to to WCW. Nitro themselves here by putting a very similar thing up against another more popular very similar thing, but uh, 
There was no NWO in this version of the go-between. Unfortunately, this was a real TNA Hulk Hogan situation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so... Oh, yeah, very... I like how we... There's, there's no crossover with those audiences. No, not whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Besides us, I guess. Professional wrestling and British film. Yeah. Well, maybe Gentleman Jack has seen the go-between. I don't know. Gentleman Jack, if you're out there... Get on the PS4. Let's play some games. Let's do it. Yeah, so uh, let's let's refresh our memory. What is the go-between about 1971 and 2015? It's based on a book, also called The Go-Between. By uh, Lawrence Pataki Hartley. I don't know if that's what it stands for, but it's L.P. Hartley. L.P. Hartley, classic author. I'm sure you're familiar with all his work. Yes. His? Is it a him? I don't know. Could be a lady. <laughs> that's terrible. I should look that up while you're talking. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, if you'll remember, The Go-Between is the movie about a young man, uh, Leo Coulson, who at the turn of the century in 1900 is uh, 12 years old, and he goes out to his buddy's, um, well, his his buddy, was Marcel, Maxwell, what the fuck is his name? Marcus. Marcus. Yeah, he goes out to his buddy's Marcus's uh, summer estate. Okay, so L.P. Hartley is a dude. Is a very, yes. He's a knight, he's a CBE, commander of the British Empire. Oh, I thought that was... Uh... Cock-basting Eurotrash? Cool boy ectoplasm. Well, it's not. Oh, okay. It's commander of the British Empire. So yeah, Leo Colston, he's young, he's dumb. He's not dumb, he's just a kid. Uh, and and he's uh, he's kind of poor, but he gets sent out to his buddy Marcus's uh, estate, out in the, well, his, Marcus's dad's estate, uh, out in the country for the summer to go hang out with a bunch of richie riches. Mm -hmm. And while he's there, he meets Marcus's older and much hotter sister, uh... <laughs> <laughs> wow, Marion! I, I don't like that we started this. We, the way we started this, Jason, uh, this is going downhill. Uh, so uncomfortable. But uh, yeah, so he meets Marion, and uh, Marion, of course, uh, has been having a secret relationship with Ted Burgess, smoldering Ted, Burgess. smoldering, very well cut and uh, less hairy Ted Burgess than Alan Bates, played by Ben Bat. Ben Bat, yes. Not Ben Burt, the sound guy from Star Wars, but Ben Bat. No one, in fact, Ben Burt, the sound designer from Star Wars, did not play okay. Ted Burgess in the 2015. I was going to say, if 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 that was him, kudos to him for holding up so well. He picked the wrong career. That's right. Uh, but yeah, so Ted Burgess, he's a, like a farmhand, a, a lower class guy. Marion's having a secret relationship with him, while she is promised to the Viscount Trimmingham. A Boer War veteran with a rather fucked up face. And she begins using young Leo, who has a crush on her. She takes advantage of his innocent nature and begins to use him to send messages back and forth between her and Ted of their love and uh, uh, meetings so that they can fuck. Yep. And the this proceeds throughout the whole movie until we get to the end of it when uh, everything gets found out It's and uh, Ted uh, puts a gun in his mouth. Right. And then old Leo meets old Marion, and she wants him to go talk to her grandson and be the go-between one last time. And does he do it? I mean, he walks toward that house, so... No. No. Because he gets back in the car. He gets back in the away. car and is like, fuck this shit. Well, and it's much more apparent in this version of the movie, which I think is the first thing we really need to talk this about. Is, this is the thesis statement of this movie we have to make. And it, I think this is going to come up on more than one of these episodes. Yes. It, the, no doubt in my mind. The, the 2015 version of The Go-Between is a much more obvious version of this story than the 1971 version. Everything in this version is kind of turned up and amplified, so the viewer is very much aware exactly of what's going on. Would you say that it's turned up? It is absolutely turned up. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, they used that uh, uh, turn down for what is the ending credits song of this. Yeah, I thought that was <laughs> a It was a weird choice, choice yeah. yeah. But you got me going. Bold choice for me. Bold choice of Jim Broadbent just grooving out to uh, turn down for what? I, b I believe that on the uh, on the other network when they were playing Downton Abbey, they uh, they competed with it by playing Hadaway's "What Is Love" over the uh, ending credits, which honestly was still a better choice. <laughs> Downton Abbey, man. But that's the thing. Okay, so yeah, this is a more obvious version of the story. There is a number of scenes that are much more explicit about what's going on and I would driving say... it home to the viewer. I would say more uh, exposition. Yes. A lot more is said. Where it almost, I mean, let's let me let's just say this too. The original Go Between is a very, very, very subtle movie. Yeah, absolutely, um, very, subtle is subtle is just about the perfect word to describe it. Almost to the point where there were like 
I, I I mean I do I will usually watch these movies twice. There have been uh there's I think English Patient was the only one I didn't. No, actually, you know what? I think I did watch that twice. I don't think there has been any yet, but or maybe Woman in Love. Yeah. And the thing with the original Go Between is that there's some things I didn't catch on the first watch. Like mm. the, I, the second watch, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Mm. This one, one viewing, like I, J- Jason and I, as a as an experiment, just watched it together. Like literally, what? Five minutes ago? Yes, it was a completely intentional experiment. We, yes. we finished this movie about 10, 10 minutes ago, and uh, uh, maybe 15. I'm going to keep bumping it. Okay. And so, yeah, so we, we just watched it. It's fresh in our minds. Yeah, just about an hour ago. Yeah, just about, about, about just, a week and a half. About six months ago, we watched this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, completely intentional. No reason for it. Nope. No technology uh, downfalls. But having, wa- having watched it the second time, like I was watching it the second time just now, I mean, like, I made no additional notes no. because you get everything on the first viewing. Like, this is not a this is not a movie, and that's not to say this is like a slight against it, no. but or necessarily, but like, this is a movie that I don't think you really need to marinate more than once. No, and it's 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 actually for maybe a person that wanted to that was interested in this story. This might be a good thing to watch first. Because it, it, you know, it's very clear what everything's about. Then you go back and watch the 1971 version and see how they do it. And uh, but, but you know what's going on from, or you could just read the book. But who does that anymore? I don't know how to read. Uh, that's been a real problem for us. Yeah, Jason uh, writes all our copy. I have to write a lot. So, well, I want to start right away at the beginning of the movie because yeah. we get that line that they definitely kept in. And as the past is a foreign country, they do things differently there, which is a great line. I squealed like a schoolgirl when I heard it, because that's such a great line. Because he did, as we played the movie, Jason literally said it out loud, and then not, like, what, 15 seconds later, he said it in he the said, movie. Well, we knew it was coming. I mean, it was it's, it's, it's very important. It's iconic. But what's different here is what follows. So I just want to play a little clip. Um, so this starts with old Leo. Mm-hmm. He's, he's played by Jim Broadbent. Michael Redgrave in the original. Michael Redgrave in the original. Jim Broadbent in this one. Cool casting. I love Jim Broadbent. He's the man. Yeah, we did. We've talked about him a couple times. He's been in some really fucking good movies and some really fucking bad movies. We talked about, but he's great in all of them. We talked about a terrible one, and we talked about one that was pretty close to the top of our list. Racist. <laughs> right. Yeah. So after the after he says that he's on a train, old Leo is on a train, and he has a conversation with his younger self as a boy. And I just want to play that clip because this is not in the original no. at all. No. So. Again, laying out some shit for everybody to understand. Yeah, here we go. Why have you become such a dull dog when I gave you such a good start? It was you that let me down. You flew too close to the sun. You got scorched. It was you made me this creature of ashes and cinders. But you've had 50 years to get over it. He was right. I have lived in the shadow of the past. Afraid it would ruin my life. It has. It's a little on the nose. Yeah. Um, because as far as I remember, the 1971 version of the movie, and you know, we're going to be going back and forth a yeah. lot because this is all this is kind what of this the point of this podcast. Yeah. Well, this series, anyway. Yeah. This mini-series <laughs> on this podcast. Okay, yes. For screen... And country. And now... For something... Completely... Similar. A podcast. The Apocalypse. iTunes. So, what I was going to say... <laughs> I would go, danger of losing my point there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a lot more... Because in the original film, I believe you don't really know anything about... Well, in the original film, you don't even know that this is Leo, I don't think. Yeah, it, it, in the original film, it's not clear right out of the gate until the end of the movie, kind of what's going on. Because it's like, this this guy shows up, and then we go to this time in the past, and then, yeah, we, and then we see, see 19, again. 1950s cars. Yeah. And so, but, yeah, and, and like I think we only know that he's kind of a broken man late in the movie. Well, at the very end... From when he's talking to older Marion, yeah, and she literally says, "You're you're dried up," uh, which we yeah, and this movie just lays that out right away, like a right from the get go, right from the get go between, yeah, get go between, yeah, <laughs> Brendan, this is why you're on this podcast, but umcha, 
But yeah, I, so that's the first thing I wanted to note that like is much different. The first are, thing I want to note that's much different is the way this is shot. Because we, we, we mentioned Downton Abbey earlier. This looks like Downton Abbey in the way it was shot. Because if you go back and watch that, that 70s go-between, it's shot in a very naturalistic style. Like It, yes. it feels like the, the lighting is more precise and the look of it, it's like... It's got a very Harry Potter uh, uh, first and second movie look to it, where everything is like perfectly manicured and like the everything is very neat and tidy and the grounds are very nice. Whereas in the go, 70s go between, it seems just a little more wild because they've got like all the gardens and stuff. It just seems a little more like a little bit more shaggy, like the hair in the 70s, like the shaggy dog. Yeah, like the, the shaggy dog version. What the the, oh, the only version, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, you've got a friend in me. Absolutely. <laughs> That's from that movie, right? Yeah, sure. But yeah, it, it actually, it, I don't think it was filmed uh, quite like Barry Lyndon, but it reminded me of Barry Lyndon from the way it looked and, and the way that the the plants were. <laughs> the, the original. The original, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but this, again, this one is much more conforming to that Downton Abbey look. And I mean, this is a TV movie. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I don't that, expect a lot. It's It's got that TV movie look. Um, although, like, I will say the cinematography is better than I expected. For a TV movie, anyway, because yeah. you always have limitations in that regard. But also, the other thing, too, is that I feel like budgetary reasons back in the 70s may have also contributed to the way it was shot. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, like, not to say that nothing was carefully set up, which I'm sure they carefully set up every single shot, oh, yeah. but it gave off that illusion yeah. of that it was almost like cinema verite, yeah. like documentary style. Yeah, it had that 70s grit to it that you don't see as much anymore. Another huge thing here, well, I mean, I don't know how huge it is because we could argue he's not a major factor in the story either way, mm. but Michael Gow's character from the original film plays Mr. Maudsley, uh, Marion's father, Yeah, is, that character is not in this movie at all. This, a, character, this character exists in the world. There's a throwaway liner in the movie where Marcus mentions that his father is away for the summer. Yeah, he's like away working or something. Yeah. And that's all we see and that's all we hear about him. And it's understandable because, you know, th- that character doesn't figure in real strongly into the movie. It's, uh, Leo has a couple encounters with him where he's like, oh, today may, might be a record. Perhaps you should look it up. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do like those scenes in yeah. the original, but, you know, it might even be a case where they said, well, which actor can make that quite like the quite as what Michael Gow did to it in the and original one? Just about anybody that could do that is dead. <laughs> it's right. They asked Oliver Reed, and they realized he died fourteen years prior. They asked Oliver Reed. They asked Alec Guinness. They're like us. They think they're still alive, but they don't actually talk to them. Right. One thing they do keep in this movie a major thing uh, that I noticed. I'm sure you noticed is Leo, the character of Leo, the boy, being. Adept at curses. Yes, and very much into black magic. Black magic. It's still a thing. There is a subtle. There is one subtle difference. Now, in the beginning of the movie, where they talk about uh, those those boys that he caused to fall off the roof. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the original, they kind of just they they say it real quick and kind of brush it off. And you're like, oh, he caused someone to nearly die and fall off the roof. That's horrible. Yeah. In this version, they throw in the fact that they were two bullies. Yeah. They never said that in the in No, the no. They he were just, just like two kids. It feels like this movie is like, no, 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 don't feel bad for these kids that Leo, Leo was to right the yeah. to make those children fall off the roof with his black magic. They were bullies. Yeah. Don't hate Leo. Fuck him. Because I always thought that was weird in the original. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> he caused two people to nearly die? Yeah, so they, they mentioned this fact. They mentioned the fact that he's into curses and stuff. And and in the 71 uh, go-between, like this comes up a couple times throughout the movie. Uh, we keep going back to Leo kind of being into this stuff. But in this movie, we, we, we get this beginning scene where they talk about the bullies, quote-unquote, being knocked off the roof. And then it doesn't come back again until the very end of the movie when it's when the plot requires it. Well, we do have the, the bit at the beginning, too, where he tries to make... Because Marion, who we meet, played in this one by uh, Joanna Vanderham, mm-hmm. uh, asks him kind of semi-jokingly to, like... Uh, put a spell on the weather so they yes. have sun all summer. So he does that, but then for another like you know seventy five minutes, there's there's no mention of it. I was kind of hoping that uh, he would then spend most of his movie trying to control the weather as uh, like a young Sir August to winter. How great would that have been? Oh, the connections we could have had. Oh, a storm brew. There's a cloud over India. Oh, the, the torrential rain. And then it turns out that Jim Broadbent, who plays old Leo, was, was did, eventually did turn into mother, and he was actually a mentor to Sir August to Winter, and then that movie all makes sense, finally. I was going to say, I, was gonna say, I thought you were going to say, <laughs> or you recast that role 
with Sean Connery as older Leo. As and older Leo. That it is on it the is Twitter. God damn it. <laughs> we got to get him out of retirement. That's right. I know. Well, I mean, when your last, when your previous film is as successful as Sir Billy, it takes a lot to convince you. Yeah. You, uh, now, we talk about this movie being a little less subtle. And another major thing, too, is the way that I, th- I think, anyway, the way in this movie that the mother characters handled, Mrs. Maudsley, yeah. who uh, Margaret Layton played her brilliantly in the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, she nominated for an Oscar for that one, yes. if I remember correctly. Uh, this woman's good, too. Yeah. This uh, She's played by uh, she's played by Leslie Manville, who I know I've heard that name before and seen her in something else. I've heard of Leslie Mann. <laughs> it's the city that where she lives. Mm. Leslie Manville. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I'm pretty sure I recognize that name before. Anyway, she, she's she's great. Yeah. But um, in this one, I find like her kind of subtle glances at Marion as she's suspicious about this relationship with Ted are a lot more obvious in this one. Well, and in fact, I, I, obvious to the point where they have like out, outright arguments that Leo overhears about uh, her palling around with this guy or doing shit she shouldn't be doing that the mother is knows is going on but can't like tamp it down or can't quite prove it i guess and i feel like with this version of the movie because i feel like the the original version of the movie we're seeing it i mean both versions we're seeing it through leo's eyes yes absolutely. This, this we are basically leo uh not quite understanding what's going on because nobody ever straight up says yeah ted and i are fucking yeah like there's no there's no line about like there's no scene where hugh is saying like oh i think they're they're having sex and i'm pretty sure Anytime we see a character talking, Leo is somewhere in the scene. Yeah. I, I believe. I think so. Even in when we see uh, Marion and her mother arguing in this movie, Leo is the one over here. He overhears it, yeah. He's but either I, in the hallway or he's hiding in the bushes. Or... Right. But I feel like this movie makes us a little less like Leo, and I think that it tells us a little more. Mm. It tells us a little too much, maybe. Yeah. That, that that gives us a little bit too much information, rather. Because um, when the, she's arguing with her mother, we hear about like the arranged marriage mm-hmm. between her and Trimmingham. Who, Which again, I thought was pretty clear that that was like, the reason why he was in the, the picture. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Like, I don't think that scene was really necessary. No. Um, and that's why I think in the, in the original that line is so much more effective when he finally asks her, like, well, why don't you just not marry him? And she says, I can't. Mm-hmm. And that, cause that's like the first addressing of that yeah. situation. Whereas in this movie, we've heard about it like three or four times. Yeah. It's, it's very clear. It's, it's very explicit what's going on. Yes. Rather than implicit. The opposite. In fact, uh, I also wanted to mention that they, uh, the actress that plays Marion, uh, uh, Joanna Vanderham. Joanna Vanderham. She's presented in a much more like, like they very much go very ethereal with her. Like when we see her the first time with this blown out light behind her, and she yep. looks very angelic and stuff. And they're really, and and we see that a couple of times throughout the movie, which is interesting given that she's fucking around on well, who's supposed to be her husband just because of love rather than politics. It's How ridiculous! Dare she? How. Dare she? I've watched Game of Thrones. When you marry, you marry for political reasons and no other. Yeah. Peter Dinklage. That's I know nothing right. about Game of Thrones. Yeah, he, uh, he had to marry for political reasons. I just watched that episode. I know he's in the show. He's very good in that show. Okay. He has a scar on his face. So, is he trimming him? Yes. Leo is also way sadder in this movie. Yeah, this kid... <laughs> Is this kid is great. Through, he's this, good. He's good. He's but I mean I feel like I feel like he had to go through a gamut of emotions. Yeah, I mean, he always looks so sad in this movie. I don't know if he was emotionally abused by the director or something, but like he just is always on the verge of tears. And I guess you know the character to some extent is that, but he's also supposed to be kind of happy when he's doing this for Marion because he likes Marion and he thinks this is making her like him more. I suppose. And 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 <laughs> Jason, who did you think the uh, director was at first? I re- I saw the name. Peter Travis, and in my head I read Peter Travers and thought to myself, the guy that reviews movies in Rolling Stone is writing this, or directing this movie? What's strange? And then I looked closer and thought, and realized that A, what's strange is not an expression, and B, it wasn't Peter Travers. <laughs> what's strange? What's strange? Oh! I think that uh, it would have been great if it was Pete Travers and then he gave himself, like, a negative review. It's like, this thing sucks. I don't know what I did. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Uh, so another, uh, here's another clip I want to play too, because this is another scene that was definitely added on. Uh, it's when Leo is taken into town to buy clothes. Yeah. Uh, Marion is going to buy him clothes rather. Clearly it's her excuse to get into town, have some sort of rendezvous with Ted. Mm-hmm. So I think this thing is already going on when the movie starts. 
Uh, was it this movie? What was it? The original movie where she told him to go play in a church? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. he doesn't do that in this one. No, this one he's trying on clothes. But before they leave, they have this little scene together, and this is definitely not in the original film. How beautifully these are mended! I wish we had someone who could mend clothes like this. My mother does it herself. <laughs> Those clothes you have at home don't really exist, do they? They do. They're rather old. We can't afford new ones. Well, it'll be our secret. Creepy. <laughs> um, just like explained a lot more. Like we're we're basically in that scene. She's tell like I think some version of that scene exists in the original, but yeah. this is a scene where he literally says, "My family can't afford clothes," and it's like we. We got that. When he first shows up, he goes to drag his own suitcase into the house, and the butler's like, hey, man, that's my job. Don't don't muscle in on my job. I got a union. Which, of course, they don't have a union, but... Hey, man, don't take my job. That's right. Give me your briefcase, and I will take it. We are going to get DMCA'd so fast. Remember... But it's a parody. You're a go-between... Then you have seen what two people fuck is like. Like, like, like. What two people fuck is like. Did he just say making fuck? <laughs> My love for you is like a truck. Kevin Smith, don't sue us. We already referenced Clerks enough on the show. <laughs> on this British film show. We've referenced it at least 37 times. 37? You referenced it 37 times? Including me? Including me? 37. It's 37. Including this reference? It's still 37. Oh, I wanted to mention, uh, so uh, in the original version, when they first meet Ted, they see him swimming naked in the river. Yeah. And in this version, when Ted gets out, again, much more cut, much more defined, and much more smoldering than Alan Bates looked in the original. Uh, although probably Alan Bates is a better actor, but this guy's good. This guy's fine. Um, but, uh, well, because in, uh, in it, we have what, I call him a twit. But he's, he's less of a twit in this movie. But the, the guy that, like, talks to uh, Alan Bates We don't from know him shore. socially. Yeah, we don't know him socially. And yeah. he's just so super condescendingly British in the original version that it made me so happy. To see. And he's redheaded, too. <laughs> it made him extra extra weird. I say that as a redhead, folks. Um, there's not a lot of hair left on there, but it was red. Previous redhead. And, and the guy in this version is much nicer, and he, like, he ends up taking uh, uh, Marion and and uh, Leo's picture at one point. He's just, he's, he's less of a twit, and I was kind of disappointed by that. As Jason said when the scene was going on, a picture of Leo and Marion's ass. Yeah, pretty much. It's like he's staring at the camera and she's turned around, so I guess that was his spank material for 50 years afterwards. Oh, I also wrote that in the young Leo peeking at that Ted Burgess dong. Yeah, well, we all get a little peek at it, too. This is British TV. Dong's this out is, filmmaking. This is how they probably marketed it on BBC. It's like, you could watch Downton Abbey, or if you shift back over to the other BBC, you're going to see a dong. I don't. I didn't see a dong. Oh no! You could see his a little bit of it. It's just flopping around as he gets out of the water. Flopping around. This is this just is a like, taste. A taste of his dong. A taste of honey. <laughs> That's right. A little <laughs> taste of different type of honey. Yeah. And and I th okay. One thing I gotta say something about this that I really don't like. Okay. Now in the original, what I really like about the original is that you never see Marion and Ted have any kind of interaction on screen until obviously the very last scene. Yeah. In this one, we have this unnecessary slow-mo, like, stare. They just kind of look at each other. Moment. Yeah, yeah, it's like smoldering, like, oh, like, It's hey. the director going, see? See? Yeah, it's just unnecessary. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that's modern filmmaking for you. And then that's what part of our discussion has been about, is that, you know, this movie was made in 2015. That's a long time after 1971. I'm not going to do the math. Uh, you can do that at home. Uh, most phones have a calculator, so go ahead and try. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's we, we live in a very different time and a different approach to filmmaking. And yeah, we're we're a little more obvious these days. Um, and sometimes that's good, and sometimes that's you know to the detriment of the of the product. I also feel like Ben Bat does like a fine job. Like he's not he's not great. He's not terrible. He does like he's fine as uh, in this role. But I found him to be less uh i 
I didn't like him as much. Like, yeah. I found that Alan Bates, in the original, he had enough qualities that I was able to, like, he, the way he interacted with Leo sometimes, yeah. I was able to, like, kind of like him a little bit more. Yeah, he seemed actually much cooler to Leo, I think, than yeah. than Ted is in this film. Maybe, yeah, Ben Bat maybe doesn't have that, like, warmness that Alan Bates can have. And then when he, and then later in the movie, of course, when Ted explodes on, uh, on uh, Leo... Uh, it seems much angrier and meaner even than it was in the 71 version. Yeah, well, and I think that's because he seems a lot, like, more, like, venomous before yeah. that. So it's like, it's almost like, it it's almost, doesn't seem as out of character as it seems in the original film. No, exactly. Um, oh, a line I wanted to point out that I liked in this one, I don't think was in the original, was where they were talking about why I'll they, be back? No. <laughs> I'll be back. And then they smash the carriage through the front doors of the... Uh, Mansion. No, um, it's the where they're talking about the cricket game and uh, the Marcus. I think offhandedly, and this is a child saying this. Offhandedly says, "Oh, we have the cricket game because it, um, what is it? Uh, it helps <clears throat> helps keep the locals quiet." Yeah, <laughs> it's a wonderfully condescending, aristocratic thing to hear out of the mouth of a twelve-year-old. And they're like, "We have to win." Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And if we don't, well, that will. I don't know. Well, it's it's one of those things. It's like in wrestling. It's uh, it doesn't work for them. You know. You, 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 it's like, oh, if, if we beat them, so what? We're a bunch of rich people that uh, play a lot of cricket. But if they beat us, they beat us, the rich people that play a lot of cricket. So why do they play? There's nothing in it for them. It must be just to keep the locals quiet. Right. <laughs> what about the, uh, the one of the big things in this in the, in the original film, too, was the uh, use of Belladonna or... Uh, nightshade, nightshade yeah. which we, we, we saw in the original, like, right from the beginning to kind of foreshadow... Mm. In this one, it just kind of shows up when it's needed. About three quarters of the way into the movie, the yeah, Marcus and and uh, Marcus and Leo go and and yeah, briefly explore the nightshade rather than wrestling and falling into it as they did in the original one. Yeah, it's treated as more of like a plot convenience yeah. in this movie rather than. Uh, sort of a natural, oh yeah, that from earlier type thing. Yeah, what I, what I liked about it in the beginning is because if you know Belladonna, you know Nightshade, you know it's a poison, right? So early in the movie, in that 71 version, you see that come up and you think, oh shit, somebody's going to get poisoned in the course of this movie. So it gives you this like, I, I guess watching that uh, watching that 71 version of the movie, I, I had this feeling throughout it, after seeing that Belladonna, that oh god, somebody's going to get killed in this movie. Yeah. Somebody, this kid is going to like get killed for running messages or... He's going to poison somebody, and no, it turns out that he uses it in his curse ceremony at the end of the movie. Or you think, like, maybe, one, maybe like, Trimmingham will turn out to be not such a good guy and yeah. poison Ted or something. Yeah. Which, by the way, also to mention, Trimmingham is just as charming in this one as he yeah. was in the original. It seems like a real good dude. And it goes against, I don't know, I don't remember if I said this during the episode, but if I didn't, I'm, I should have said that I would have predicted if they had done a remake, that they would have made Trimmingham less appealing. Yeah. Because in any other movie, he would be that character. Yeah. He would be, you know, um, using Marion or whatever for her money or, or I guess he has the yeah. money. Because we, we learned from Sense of Sensibility, it was the men who had the money, oh, absolutely. right? So. But of course, I argue that that makes the, uh, uh, having Trimmingham be like a nice guy makes that relationship dynamic more interesting. Yeah. Like, where she's not into him, but he's just a super good guy and you don't. You don't feel good about her fucking around on him or fucking somebody else because she's supposed to marry this guy. It's like, oh, well, he's pretty cool. Like, But then at the same time, it's like she is kind of being forced into it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, she shouldn't have to marry this guy if she doesn't want to. Yeah, it's like cetera, just because he's a great guy doesn't mean that he, she should be forced to marry him. No, I'm a great guy. Marry me. That's am, how it works, I am right? such a nice guy. Yeah. When, whenever someone says that they are a nice guy, they're probably not a nice guy. Well, I think that's clear. <laughs> I've been on the internet, Brendan. I know what happens when you tip your trilby at a lady. Fortune! Sponsored today by... <laughs> Good God. Never. We were paid in child porn. It was the worst. Oh. I'm never doing that again. God. Ugh. I will say... Okay, so I'm going to give this movie one scene I think is done better in this movie. Okay. And that's the cricket game. Yeah. I think the cricket game... Now, I mean, obviously there are two two kind of schools of thought in both movies going on. Like, in the original, I think the cricket game is meant to be, like, long and drawn out on purpose. Like, it's supposed like to be... Like a real cricket game. Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, again, the naturalistic filmmaking. Mm. But in this one, it's done very much like a 
you watch a sports movie and there's like a bit the big game, right? We got we got um, numerous instances of slow motion. Yeah, and there's a great there's a great line. I don't remember if it's in, again. I don't remember if it's in the original, but there's a line where as soon as Ted shows up, uh, they're they're like uh, they say, "Here comes the enemy," which of course <laughs> is on a no, number of levels there. Yeah, that are going on and. This game, yeah, the game in the the game in this movie, we have like tense music, quick cutting, uh, a lot of handheld in this whole movie, yeah, especially in this scene, yeah, and of course, you know, you get the whole thing, and Leo catches the ball and barehanded, because that's cricket for you, yeah, crazy fucking Brits, you crazy fucking Brits. We also get some much more obvious tension of like of uh, uh, trimming M staring down uh, Ted, yeah. And I think this movie also makes it a lot more obvious. Again, going back to that, that Trimmingham suspects something. He knows he, he like the mother. He knows shit's going down. I yeah, and it, like suspects is maybe even a, like a lesser word. You're right. Mm. They probably know, just don't have actual proof. Yeah. that it's going down. Of course, and in the old days, British people didn't talk about stuff at all, so nobody would ever say anything until the moment came and everybody just explodes. And they they do they repeat a scene from the original that I did not think they were going to, and that's the concert hall. Mm. And I wanted to play a little clip of the song because I feel like it's not great. My love is like a red red rose. My love is like a red red rose that's newly sprung in June. My love is like a that sweetly played in tune And fair art thou, my body lies So deep in love am I And I will love you still, my dear Till all the sea's gone dry So, of course, that the, the context of that scene is that... Uh, uh, Ted is basically singing with Marion playing on the piano and you know he's singing about really the situation as we learned in so many of these British movies that have scenes like this but <laughs> I just don't think it's, he's that doing that great of a singing job yeah it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of feeling in there and I wonder if I I'm gonna possibly give credit to the movie though I wonder if that's a thing where it's like He's doing it badly intentionally, so people are not like, "Oh, they have a lot of like chemistry," or "Oh, he really means what he's saying," or something like. Yeah, you, you can't. Have, I guess yeah, you're right. You can't have too much feeling being up there singing that song with the yeah. girl that everybody seems to think you're fucking is sitting right beside you. So, uh, so I'm, I'm I re- like wrestling with the two schools of thought. Mm. Is it is it is it like just a poor performance in general, like the actor singing or whoever is singing? Cleo, er, Cleo, clearly Leo yes. is not singing after this the actor yeah but whoever it is is either doing a poor job or it's intentionally off key to kind of give away off this notion that he's just not trying intentionally let's assume that pete knew what he was doing pete travers yes rolling stone (laughs) yeah absolutely he's a smart guy (laughs) a big scene they added is which is weird that they added a few scenes because we got to note this is 89 minutes long this remake and the original was a hundred and 10 minutes, I think. 110, yeah. it was at least 20 minutes longer than this. But there is a scene where uh, Marcus and Leo are just, you know, playing around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they hear people spooning. Yeah, of course. W- which is what is referred to in this movie. They call it spooning. Which is fucking. Yeah. And they hear two what, people. What? Wait, wait, what? Hold on. What? It, Did you just say that spooning is fucking? It is fucking. Wow, we should watch this again, and this movie will make a whole lot more sense. Well, all right, we'll be right back. All right. And we're back. So, third time for Brendan, second time for me. Yeah, okay, it all makes sense now. Yeah, spooning is fucking, you get yeah. it? Yeah, I get right. it, I get it. But yeah, so they catch, well, they don't catch anyone, but it's clearly Marion and Ted yeah. fucking in the shed. And now Marcus knows about Actually, it. Actually, and... fucking in an outhouse. Because they mentioned that it's an outhouse. <laughs> I wonder if, if outhouse means the same thing in England. I don't know. <laughs> that looked like a shitbox to me. <laughs> 
But this, um, now, if we remember earlier in the movie, there was a scene where Marcus talked about like how he had uh, heard a secret from his mother. So we get the sense that Marcus is real close to his mom and they talk about shit. So Leo in this scene makes it very clear to Marcus to keep his fucking mouth shut. Uh, I mean, not, not quite that angry. He's not like threatening him or anything, but he's like, no, please don't tell anyone about this because he doesn't want to betray Marion's confidence because he doesn't want Marion to hate him. Right. Because like, like the original movie, she, you know, goes off on him at least once. Uh, uh, being it, like, oh, we, we treat you so well and you're going to pull this shit by not doing what I ask you to do? Indoors rather than outdoors. Indoors in rather movie. than outdoors, yeah. Big uh, change. Couldn't afford to do it out, outside this time. Pete Travers is like, I'm making a critical change. <laughs> but, but yeah, so, um, yeah, he doesn't want this to get found out, again, because he, he loves Marion. He's He likes Marion. I don't think it's made... Actually, that's the one thing I don't think they hammer on quite as hard in this one is the idea that he's like got this deep crush on Marion, and maybe that's again being in the twenty teens, uh, having a thirteen year old crush on an adult is a lot more is not quite as uh, acceptable as it once was, or as charming. Charming, yeah, maybe a little <laughs> a little more problematic now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he I I got the sense in the original movie he was in love with her. Um, but in this one, maybe he's got kind of like a puppy crush on her. But also not aware of what that was. No, no, exactly. Because he, he keeps asking. He's very unaware of, like, well, spooning. Yeah, spooning, right? exactly. That's his euphemism for sex. He has no clue what goes down in yeah. either movie. I will say that the birthday scene is a lot different in this movie, too. Like, the, the, I find, like, in the original, it's a lot more haunting. Mm. And in this one, I think it's handled, like... Not as effectively. It looks like Breakfast at Downton Abbey. Yeah, it, it's not as effective. No. Again... You know, at this point, the movie is released. They are six seasons deep into Downton Abbey, yeah. and this Downton Abbey, a very, very popular show, very not good a, show. Not not only overseas, mm. but here yeah. in North America, and for good reason. It's amazing. So I'm wondering. I've never seen it. I've heard good things. Oh, you should. It's great. But I'm wondering if like the popularity of that show helped kind of propel this remake. I feel like it must have. That the that you know they clearly showed there was a market. Uh, a mainstream market, even in America, for stories about upper-class English people in the early 20th century. Right. You know, that Maybe that even goes beyond the, the PBS sort of audience that would watch that thing on Masterpiece Theater, you know? Yeah, because like a lot of this, like, I haven't even seen a full episode of Downton Abbey. I've seen enough to know that this, like, feels like an episode. It's shot like an episode yeah. of Downton Abbey. And, yeah, I wonder if that was just, like, some sort of, uh, you know, resurgence. Or maybe they just had the same crews. Like Tom Cruise? Yeah, Tom Cruise. He he make, he, make, he edited Downton Abbey, right? You didn't see that? That would be such a weird bit of trivia. Yeah, that's why there's so much running in that episode. <laughs> and at random points, you just hear like... There's just pictures of L. Ron Hubbard yeah. in the background <laughs> for some reason. Just, every scene, there's a picture of L. Ron Hubbard that's visible. He added in a quick animated intro where, <laughs> you know, fucking Claire 2 or whatever the fuck inhabited the earth well, I don't know what their thing well, is uh, first off that Xenu and second off that is secret sacred knowledge Brendan that they would not talk about openly and in fact would openly deny JK we're both Scientologists uh, that's why we have no money did you notice this? Did you know? Yeah, we give it an alternate religion. Did you notice there's like a quick, subtle reference to the original? It's like, do you remember the, in the film, the 1971 film, Marcus tells Leo a secret, but the secret is that she got him a bike for yeah. his birthday? It That doesn't happen in this one, but as we get to the climactic scene where uh, Mrs. Maudsley is pulling Leo down the hall to find Marion, yeah. we see the bike. With uh, the bow on it. Oh, nice. And, I, good catch. I didn't catch that. Yeah, so like if you hadn't seen the original, you would just, wouldn't probably you think wouldn't much of it. You wouldn't think of it, yeah. But I think that's just like a little nod to people who had seen it. It's like, we got you. We got you. We saw that movie too. I noticed you picked up on something near the end where, so we get to the end, uh, and like unlike the original in this film, we don't cut back and forth between old Leo and the story. No. But um, I think you were uh, writing something. Uh, so I'll ask you about this. When when she said when old Marion, played by Vanessa Redgrave in this movie, by the way, which is funny because in the original, her father, Michael Redgrave, played old Leo, which opens up another Pandora's box I'm not even gonna go into. <laughs> but uh Vanessa Redgrave says something along the lines of like, I I have a grandson, clearly from, you know, Ted Burgess. Yeah. Uh, or well son from Ted Burgess, the grandson looks a lot like Ted. And she says the grandson feels like there's a curse on his family or something and that goes back to when he, i guess he he 
use the belladonna yeah, he... more explicitly in this movie because yeah. we we debated about that. Mm. I remember we debated about like what is he doing with the belladonna? Is he cursing that relationship between Marion and Ted? Yeah. Is he doing it to like we thought he was possibly going to poison someone? Yeah, yeah, he had poison. In Nightshade. this in this one he is like literally saying curse this relationship. Yeah. I want her to show up at 6 and he's not there and they get they quarrel and break yeah. up. So and then yeah, and then she says, "Oh, we were it's like we were cursed or something." And yeah. I noticed you took It was that. very obvious calling yeah. back to that. But then it, you know, but then it more obviously shows you why Leo has spent the last 50 years not able to get over this because he, I I think he blames himself. And he, yeah, in the original movie he does too. But yeah, he, he so more much more obviously blames himself for what happened because he talks especially early on he mentions like his life being ashes or something when he's talking to the younger version of himself. Again, uh, the writing is a little more uh, more on the, nose on the nose for the modern audience. Yeah. Now we're not we're not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's not. There are parts where I, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit just because yeah. it's a little like okay. especially if you have seen the original. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, it's a lot more obvious in this one that Marion is not supposed to be a good person because we have Vanessa Redgrave as old Marion saying, "Oh, do us, do me one last thing, go give this message." Oh, didn't we have a delightful summer? Oh, yeah. Wasn't like, it so much fun we had? Why don't you be my little shit fucking go to guy again and go yeah. go between for me with my grandson? And then Leo just straight up, "Yep, I'm gonna do it." Gets to the house and says, "Nope." Gets See back ya. in the car and it drives away. And again, I think in the original film. We weren't entirely sure if he did it or not. If he went and told, if he went and gave him the message or not. Mm. So again, I think if we had the like an overarching thing for this remake, a lot less subtlety. And again, I'm not necessarily saying this is as a complete negative. Mm-hmm. A lot less subtlety, a lot more on the nose, just a lot more explicit. A this is definitely a beginner's guide to the go between. So yes. you would maybe start here, and if you liked it, then you could go back and watch the movie and maybe read the book, and then you can watch the sequel, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That was the sequel to this. To the to the beginner's <gasps> so guide. To the Leo's go-between. a young Arthur Dent. Yes, oh, he's a young. He's actually a young Moe's deaf. It's a very problematic <laughs> sequel. <laughs> well, Jason. Uh, before, I want to move on to like kind of comparing the actors a little bit. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, is there anything else you want to say about just like the general general plot or you know the way this film is made? Uh, you know what? This is a uh, I think this is a perfectly serviceable version of this story. It's a good entry point for maybe people who have to read it for school. <laughs> um, and then yeah, so but but if you're a cinephile, it's probably better to check out the '71 version because it's a little more visually interesting. And Alan Bates is in it, and Julie Christie. How can you say no to that pairing? And Russell Crowe. <laughs> he was he was three. three yeah. yeah. So, okay, so let's let's uh, let's go through this just quickly here. So, I want to compare like some of the characters' performance. I think Michael Gow does a much better job yeah. of the original than the absence of an actor. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. This one. He so gets I'll, a plus on that. One. I'll give it to Michael Gow on that one. Uh, the character of Leo. I might. This might be controversial. I don't know, but I am actually. I actually. Go for this actor. Yeah. I think Jack Hollington in this movie was a little more... Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think I'd give him a slight edge over Dominic Gard. And, like, that's just me. What, like, what do you think? I think, yeah, I think you're right. I noticed... I, I think he has a little more to do, even though, I, you know, he is the main character of both films, but I think he has a little more to do in this oh, one. Yeah. I think I think he gets to act a little more, um, which is obvious by the fact that he's always on the verge of crying. I, I hope that's acting. Again, I don't want to think that Peter Travers beat the shit out of him on set or anything, but uh, this movie will be good or I'm going to give you a bad review with this belt. If he gets me too, this is going to age poorly. Yeah, oh yeah, oh god. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> well, if he gets me too, it's not because he was beating children necessarily. Well, it could be part of it. No, well, maybe. Me too. I was beaten by Peter Travers. <laughs> don't sue us. That's a joke. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly a joke. <laughs> That's uh, my life, Brendan. Allegedly jokes. <laughs> wow. This is a therapy session. Oh, and also I wanted to mention, too, at some point uh, when, when she gets mad at him, uh, Marion calls him a Shylock. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what do you want, money, you Shylock? It's like, whoa, whoa, we're going down some anti-Semitic territory here. That wasn't in the original. No, well, they really <laughs> doubled down on yeah. her, her, her villainous turn there. <laughs> uh, so we'll talk, uh, old Leo, I'm, I'm going to say uh, Michael Redgrave doesn't really get a lot to do. No. Uh, Jim Broadbent has, has a lot more more dialogue. Yeah. I mean, Michael Redgrave barely says anything in the original film. Well, when you get an Oscar winner like Jim... I assume he's an Oscar winner. Uh, like Jim Broadbent be. in your cast, uh, you got to use him, right? You can't he, just fucking... 
I mean, and, for the Avengers, right? Yeah, exactly. He was the, the he was Iron Man. He was he was best best government figure in a film. Yeah, the president alongside Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Okay, now here's where the original film is going to win out for me. I think Julie Christie. I can't go oh, yeah. against Julie Christie for Marion. Now, I think that Joanna Vanderham in this movie does a pretty good job. Oh, yeah, she's fine. She's great. She's, I mean, she she's... does the trick, but it's hard to beat a legend like Julie Christie at anything. Right. Yeah, and the thing with this movie is that I feel like Vanessa Redgrave and Joanna Vanderham, those two actors, I don't really put them together as one person. No. That's a little. That's a stretch for me. Yeah, they're very different. For I sure. I would have been fine with just jo- Joanna with old age makeup. Yeah, <laughs> just like they did with uh, Julie Christie. Oh, if only they'd have gone that deep. I think Ted Burgess for me is no contest. I think Alan Bates. Yeah, yeah Alan Bates is, is great. Uh, this guy's fine. Ben um, Bates a little harsh. He's a little yeah, exactly. That's what we noticed. He's much harsher toward Leo. He seems more angry uh, in his scenes. Uh, but Alan Bates even Alan Bates is good. But I didn't really even appreciate Alan Bates fully until I saw him in in Women in Love. Right. And then looking back, and it's like holy shit, this guy's a great actor. Like wow. Until you saw him inside Women in Love. Yes, until I saw him naked wrestling uh, uh, Oliver Reed, it finally, at that moment, I realized that guy was a great actor. (laughs) That was the moment when Jason came. (laughs) Hey! Now, I got got two more here. So, Mrs. Mrs. Maudsley, of course, is a good Oscar-nominated actress. Margaret Layton in the original. Uh, In this one, it is uh, Leslie Manville. I think both are great. Yeah. Again, Leslie Manville, I think, has more to do. They give her more dialogue and more stuff. Right. Um, but I think I, I think I'm going with Leighton again, just because she does so much with a smaller role. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think you're right on that one. Like I say, Leslie Manville, she's great. She does the trick. She nails it as far as she can. But it, yeah, that original role is just more subtle, more interesting. I think more like that reserved British, like we don't talk about things at all, but we know what's going on, don't we? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe that's the fault of the screenplay is that they give Leslie Manville almost too much to say, mm. uh, like unnecessary dialogue. And then it's she like, she goes real crazy at the end when they find them, and she's just screaming. Yeah, <laughs> this is a very like very more much more so like much more like uh, talk about rather than show. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And then I guess the last one here is Trimmingham. Yes. Uh, I love Edward Fox in the original. Again, I think the actor here, Stephen Campbell, is doing fine. He's great. Yeah, I like him a lot. He, I, I like him as much as Edward Fox in the sense that he, you know, Trimmingham is a, is a good guy. He, he likes Leo. He's nice to him. He doesn't seem like he's the worst guy in the world, despite the fact that he had his face shot off in the Boer War. So is this a tie for you? Yeah, I gotta say, it's pretty much a straight tie. And, and again, Edward Fox is a legend, sure. But like, yeah. yeah, it's a tie. They're both perfectly good at these characters. I'm gonna go Edward Fox. I like I like the actor in this movie too, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm doing it because I want to disagree with you, Jason. All right, well that's fine. We can do that. <laughs> no, I, I think Edward Fox gets the edge for me, but uh, yeah, the actor in this is fine. And again, I'm going to agree with Jason here. I know we're going to get to the critique here in a second, but yes, this is like this movie is you know it's fine. It's fine. And just like the original, like I mean, we both weren't head over heels no. about the original film. It's an admirable piece of yeah, filmmaking. Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's good. It's well acted, and it's you know it's certainly it's certainly no English patient. Like yeah. it's not mm. bottom of the barrel here. No. Or I guess now for me, I'd say it's certainly no women no in women love. In love. <laughs> but uh, you know, yeah, it's 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 fine. Now, now I want to talk about a little bit about how this was received because before we watched this, I predicted this was. Not received well, and mm. I was I was wrong. Really, it was received quite well, and in fact, uh, in the Daily Telegraph, Jasper Rees, a very British sounding name, yes, said uh, where the BBC's fresh take on Lady, Lady Chatterley's lover hollowed out the original and injected its own up to date agitprop. The go-between kept faith with L.P. Hartley's devastating story of love denied. This was what creative fidelity is meant to look like. He also said Pete. Well, I said Pete Travis, but I'm sure he means Pete Travers. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Pete Travers' roving camera work revealed the gilded paradise of Brandom Hall in impressionistic glances and lush screen grabs of floating pollen and wafting corn. As for the protagonist, this goes to something you said, he shot Joanna Vanderham's Marion as a radiant extension of the sun, while Ben Bat's Ted suggested a gritty compound of gnarled oak and loamy earth. Which proves to me... They are better at writing. They are better at writing. <laughs> I, I don't know if I agree with that assessment. I, I like. I think. I think the the gnarled oak and and loamy earth is be more accurately described. Ted in the seventy one film. Yeah. 
because uh, he's like I say, this guy is much more like model looking. I meant more of the stuff you said about uh, Joanna Van. Yeah, no, no, like, no. That uh, you're right. Extension of the sun. Yeah, no. Looking very ethereal, looking like very bright, very bright. That's a word I've not heard in a, a long, long time. time. A long time. Uh, and it's funny we mentioned Downton Abbey earlier because there was another critic uh, in The Guardian mm. who actually said that they preferred the BBC adaptation of The Go-Between to that episode of Downton Abbey that yeah. night and said uh, it was a more edifying experience, sensitively adapted from L.P. Hartley. It, it has the novel's intensity, subtlety, and complexity of character and theme and its direction and satisfactory arc. It knows where it's going and it's a bloody good story. And that's actually what it says. A, a bloody, bloody good, good story. story. <laughs> There's no blood. Well, that's not true. Yeah. A little bit of blood. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the the two incidents of blood, of course, are when um, when Leo falls down the haystack and cuts his leg, which in this one, I'm not, I was not sure at all what he could have possibly cut his leg on. Errant hay strings. Yeah, or something. But because uh, I think in the original, it was pretty clear he cut himself on a board or something that was at the bottom of the haystack. So we see blood there. And of course, at the end of the movie, when Ted kills himself, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> like every episode every episode of our show goes through the entire movie yeah. and we're always in spoiler, spoiler alert, alert 25 episodes in but uh, I, I try to remember in the original we, we hear the gunshot I think in the original in this one we not only hear the gunshot I don't even know shot. if we do do we? yeah I, 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 I know we see the discovery in both movies yeah but in the in the original, it's bloodless. Like you just see him kind of hunched over. Do we? Because the the thing that stood out to me in this one, and again, maybe it was in the original. It's been a while since I watched the original. When when he we hear the gunshot, and then we see the the classic trope of gunshot, then birds flying away. Uh, that didn't from, happen. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> Oh, that and, then, was... and when we've discovered Ted, obviously 2015 is a little more gruesome. He's yeah. a little more bloody. And and props to the young guy playing Leo because he discovers him and the horror in his face, and he just breaks down crying. It's 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 really good performance on his part. And we should also note that uh, I should I should also note that this this was rated TVMA. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's literally just for that, and you know the dong shot and earlier. the br- brief dong shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also when he fought, when he catches them having sex, it's a lot more explicit. Yeah, we, we see too. his butt, and uh, there's, some, there's some thrusting, a little bit of thrusting going on. Again, yeah, much more explicit than the '70s version. Well, I want to say that on the opposite end of the review spectrum, uh, for the Radio Times, there's a, and again, I'm, I'm doing this because I can't go through Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> so, can you trust uh, the Radio Times in 2019? Well, when? let's see what Ben Dowell had to say. All right. He found it to be as, uh, quote, as slow and languid as the long, hot summer that young Leo spent with his wealthy school friend, which he said Dennis, which is not even the kid, the guy's name. He <laughs> added, uh, there was an abiding, oppressive sense of doom with talk of t- distant duels in the family's history and beautiful incidental music that complemented and deepened the sense of tragedy realized most awfully at the end in Burgess' suicide when the heavens literally opened. Uh, this was sumptuous, involving unforgettable drama. Oh, I guess he did mostly like it. That stayed with you, if only it hadn't been forced to compete with Downton. <laughs> oh, it's weird saying that the movie's languid at 89 minutes. <laughs> yeah. But I've watched 90-minute movies before that feel like they last forever, so... So anyway, I guess that wasn't as negative as I thought it was. Yeah. It started out a little negative and then turned out, turned around the corner at the end. So generally liked this version, is generally, what you're Generally liked. And I guess we get to the final question here... Is which one is better? Which one is... Which version of this uh, this story is preferable? Jason, what do you think? Overall. I, I think that they're both very good entries into this story. I think the 71 works better as like a like a, an art piece. Okay. Uh, and I like the actors a lot better. But you can't really go wrong with going either version of it. If you're interested in this story and you just don't feel like reading the book, these either of these two are good ways to go. And, and if you watch one of them, it is certainly worth watching the other one as well to kind of fill in some gaps or to get a different perspective different or just to, yeah. uh, just to educate yourself because you're a dummy and you need to know stuff. So fucking suck it up and watch these two movies and feel smart for once in your stupid fucking life. I'm sorry. I got very angry there. I love you all. You keep us going. Thank you're you. You're talking to people as if they're Irish or something. <laughs> no, I love the Irish, Brendan. You know this. Yeah. See my left foot episode for <laughs> evidence of that. They're the best. They're uh, also got great senses of humor. <laughs> they better have those fucking yeah, Irish. They better. Fucking... Well, I will say that I I do think the original is a better film. Uh, a better film, for sure. Mm. 
but yeah, no, this one, this one's fine. Like this is a this is a fine remake. We're definitely gonna land. We're definitely gonna land headfirst into some terrible remakes. Yeah. I, I can think of one glaring one starring a certain Sir Nicholas Cage that'll <laughs> pop up at some point. <laughs> but I think most. I think this one is is a good good start. Yeah, it's a good it's a good remake. It's very close to the original. We listed a lot of differences, but overall, it's a very close adaptation. It's got a similar feel to it. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, but I mean, if we're talking like obviously this is a TV movie, we, we we're forgetting the fact this is a TV movie, forgetting the fact that it's 2015. Like, I don't think this should replace the 71 on the list. No, if we're, if we're not. talking about that, uh, so yeah, I think that's I think that's about it. Yeah, so go out and check it out if you can find it. <laughs> yeah, you won't. You won't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but watch the original. I mean, it's fine. Yeah, they're all fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. We're fine. How are you? You're fine. Thank you. You're welcome. This is why I come here to get uh, to get my ego boosted. C U M. Yeah, I mean, and, and I get my ego boosted because you're like, oh, it was such a you did so good. It's like a waterfall. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what that scene was about in the movie. Right. Having said all that, we are continuing this theme again for all of July. This theme of... Uh, now for something completely similar. Yes, and now for something completely similar is going to continue through throughout July. So next week, we're going to take a look at a, another take on a film we did from 1944, Jason. Yeah. Henry V. Yes, the and, the wonderfully made war propaganda version of the Shakespeare play starring Laurence Olivier. That's what we watched originally. But this time, we're going to watch... The 1989 version... Directed by and starring Kenneth Branagh. I almost said written by. He did, <laughs> he not, it, did not write this film. Yes, I revised this myself. I so mean, I he probably... William, by William Shakespeare and... Or no, sorry. By Kenneth Branagh and William Shakespeare. Yeah, he, he, he fucking Cobra the novel this shit. <laughs> He's like, well, by proxy, I'm in the movie, so I should uh, be credited as the writer of the novel. Your Kenneth Branagh impression is spot on. It's Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvester Branagh. Hmm. Uh, so that is what we're talking about. Henry V, 1989. It'll be interesting because I had a real hard time parsing the dialogue in the 1944 version. So I wonder if I'll have any, this one is a much more cinematic. So I wonder if I'll have an easier time with this shit. Yeah, we'll see. Kenneth Branagh has, has been very good about bringing Shakespeare to the masses and being one of those guys that uh, can really drive that stuff home. I love the 1994 version of Hamlet. It is four hours long 96, and it is good. 96, sir. Is it 96? Either way, that version is, is amazing and sumptuous. Uh, I'm looking forward to this one because I feel like, based on what I've seen of it, it is a much grittier, uh, like, much more realistic take on Henry V. Not like the uh, Illumination uh, version that the Henry V from the 40s was, like, which was very colorful and very um, uh, impressionistic, I would say. Whereas this one is going to be much more gritty and realistic. Yes. Yes, that's right. So... Uh, Wild Wild West, Dr. Loveless himself, mm -hmm. in Henry V, 1989. But now, Jason, we have to, we're going to wrap this thing up. No dice roll, obviously. No. So, I will say that, uh, find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can also find us on all the podcatchers. Some of the podcatchers. You can find us on iTunes. All the ones that matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, not on iTunes anymore, because it's going away. Well, but Apple, on the Apple, Apple podcast. Apple podcast. Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, of course, for screenandcountry.podbean.com. Throw a few bucks at Downcast. I use it every day. It's a great podcatcher. There you go. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen and Country. You can find Jason. I'm at Jason D. McLeod. That's M A C L E O D on Twitter. Yeah. You can find him on Instagram at Official Taz. Well, I, I mean, my, my Instagram, I think, is the same, but I haven't used it in many years. No, you're on Instagram as Official Taz. Official Taz. Uh, of, of Formerly of the WWE. Yeah, uh, it just, it's just a gif of me going through the ring every day. Yeah. It's, just, just every second, every few seconds. Catch, right him, the ring. catch him on Busted Open Radio, where he goes under the name Bubba Ray Dudley. <laughs> oh. That's it. So, I gotta say, Jason. Brandon. God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screening country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Oops, I made the go between again, baby. Oh. Bevis, you're so manly. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. 
Why are we doing the Price is Right theme song? And then the best toast of the Price is Right comes out, Drew Carey. Hey, it's me, Drew Carey. I'm here to do some improv and Plinko. What if Oliver Reed hosted the Price is Right? Oh, Oliver Why do any of you need any of this shit? I, I, let's, let's wrestle. <laughs> I want to get naked and wrestle you to the ground. I will fight every last one of you on the panel. I am in Gladiator. They didn't love me because I was good. They loved me because the crowd loved me. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs that comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it. Whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Jay Batts. And I'm Michael. And we're the hosts of a very thought-provoking show called The What If Podcast. On it, we'll explore the big and little what-ifs of life and steer our listeners toward a better understanding of the real or hypothetical situations we might find ourselves in. Or not. On our journey, we'll learn interesting facts and fictions about the everyday world. And sometimes, most of the times, we'll dive headlong into rabbit holes that slide up against the subject and sharply turn away from it. Come along with us. We'll have fun and learn something new together. New episodes release every other Tuesday. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, and anywhere fine podcasts are archived.